Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Before we get to today's show on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, a quick reminder, the podcast is sponsored by TickPick, T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K.com, the original no-fee site. What you see is the advertised cost is what you pay at the end. Fantastic site who will match up to 110% of any other website, app, whatever it is you use for tickets. They will match up to 110% if you find a cheaper seat out there. TickPick has great options and opportunities for you near the stadium, hotels, restaurants, ways to get there with Uber, all inside their app. Fantastic app that I have personally used, and they will give you $10 off your first purchase by going there and using the promo code BREAKDOWN or going to TickPick.com slash BREAKDOWN. Take advantage of the awesome opportunity at TickPick, the original no-fee site. Now, let's get over to the OBR Film Breakdown. Oh, we're already here. I am the sole editor and your host, Jake Burns. We don't have any fancy designs to get to the next segment, so I'm diving right in. It was a busy day of Browns news, right? It is, uh, listen, a lot of stuff happening. Genevieve and Clown, I'll, I'll just throw the nuggets at you as they came through. The biggest news, Anthony Walker's off to the IR. Something serious happened with that hamstring. Uh, it'll be a minimum of three games. The Browns will probably play Malcolm Smith, Elijah Lee. Mike is my best guess. Could Green Dot either of those guys? Could Green Dot John Johnson if he's going to be, you know, the consistent one on the field? We'll see sort of how all that shakes out. But, you know, you're going to lose players throughout the year. It sounds like Walker's going to be able to come back at some point. I think he's a valuable part of this defense. It stinks. Not the end of the world. Have other linebackers step up and play a bit more. Play JOK a bit more. You're going to have to rely on who's in the building. I do like Elijah Lee. There were some Reuben Foster rumors. Doesn't seem like that's going to happen. And the Lee uh, bump up to the active squad probably tells you that that's not going to happen. So, again, a long year. You're going to lose some people. Don't panic about it, okay? So, they'll they'll plug and play with who they have. Make the best of it. Grant Delpit will be back. They'll have some more DB flexibility between Delpit. Hopefully a full game of Ronnie Harrison. Hopefully. And uh, yeah, they'll they'll be okay. I'm not all too worried about it. It should be it should be just different ways to make it work, and I think they have the bodies to do it. Other pieces of news that I think are of note today, nothing minor here, but could also be major. With the uh, Ohio lawmakers pushing to get rid of the First Energy Stadium name due to bribes that were pushed uh, to get House Bill Six, I believe, to go through. I'm not great with this stuff. Don't quote me, but it is uh, it is a long going Ohio issue. And they want the first energy name off of the stadium because it's a, you know, it's a treasured thing to have your name of a company on the on the side of a stadium or the, the primary naming rights and whatever, whatever transpired there. Haven't read up enough about it, but I know that there was some bribe uh, bribe actions going on. And that is something that is being pushed for. So it is a possibility for things to happen in the future. Otherwise, Chris Kiffin noted that there was an up-and-down game from Jadevian Clowney. They hope to get some more consistency from him. I thought Clowney was pretty good for the most part. Uh, they, they really are excited about some things they have in place for the Texans, so we'll keep a close eye on that. We also learned there's a big shroud of mystery around who will play left tackle in this game. They have already ruled out Chris Hubbard with the left tricep, so that is going to be a decision that is worth heavily monitoring in the next few days. It could be Jed Wills. Stefanski said that they have a plan in place. We'll see how it goes over the next few hours and how Jed responds. And then if he's able to make it to the game, 
We have a plan if he doesn't. Uh, so, you know, he says he takes it case by case. But as of right now, it's very much up in the air. So that leaves planning and getting ready James Hudson, which is in the realm of possibility. Obviously, the fourth round rookie uh, who did not uh, was not on the active roster, the 46 man game day roster just last week. So they'll have a plan in place or Blake Hans could step in, maybe play a little out there. We'll see if Michael Dunn, who's uh, also questionable, is going to be a factor out there as well. We'll see. We don't know. It's up in the air. But the way they prepared people on the fly last year, I have nothing but confidence they'll figure it out. The hope is that Jed can play, and that would solve, you know, that would solve a lot of the issues at hand. Uh, as far as the Texans go, they have Farrell Brown, uh, questionable on the on the uh, injury report. Linebacker Cam McGregor Hill is also questionable with an illness. Not other, uh, not many other things to note for the Brown side. Troy Hill uh, is dealing with a hamstring foot. J.C. Treader with a knee. Uh, Anthony Schwartz with a hamstring, and then Michael Dunn with a back, like I just mentioned. So uh, not any reason to believe some of those guys won't be out there, if not all of them. So we'll keep an eye on left tackle, see what they do there. We'll see uh, what announcements are made, what decisions are made about what they're going to do at Mike Backer, who's going to be the green dot. That stuff will leak out over the coming days. Stuff to lose Hubbard, especially when you're dealing with uh, Jed's injury. So left tackle has to get shirt up, and I'm sure we'll get a clear plan and uh, nothing but trust that they'll figure this out in a week that – uh, probably above all else, uh, many other weeks, they can afford to suffer some sort of weird setback like this. But as our guest is going to mention here in just a minute, the Texans are a very dangerous team, right? I don't think that they're a team that you can just push around. They're old, mature. The 12 and a half point line scares me. Again, it just scares me. I think the Browns are going to win. But again, you're going to get a hungry Texans team with a ton of former Cleveland Browns eager to come back, eager to play their old team. And it's definitely worth uh, you know, making sure that you have that appropriate fear, right? That you're always appropriately afraid of of letting your guard down. I think that's something that the Browns have to be prepared for. I'm sure they're talking about it. They know they're the better team. There's not a doubt about that, but you can never sleep on another NFL team, especially some of these guys who are going to come into Cleveland hungry, the Tyrod Taylor, uh, Baker Mayfield rematch, right? And, and I know you can laugh it off and Tyrod, whatever, but you know, there's just an added motivation to this game. Not only the 12 and a half point line, but also these guys coming back. So we've got a great interview today with James Carlson. Uh, you can find James Carlson on Twitter. Uh, you can you can look up his Texan stuff. He has a podcast called Texans Unfiltered. Uh, he's at YoungRE underscore gold on Twitter if you want to follow him there. But they're a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. They do a great job covering the Texans. And he has a great interview. We go through all of the preseason drama, all of the coaching drama, all the media doubt, a little bit of Deshaun and mixed in there. Uh, but it's, it's really good. He gives a ton of insight on the players that are going to play in this game, how they performed in week one. And uh, yeah, just a really good, really good segment here. So before we get over to that interview, though, I want to get a quick word uh, with our sponsor. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, James, welcome into the uh, OBR Film Breakdown. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. We got some football coming up tomorrow. We have... Uh, you know what I think should be a pretty good game. I think that that sometimes people get a little too invested in what they think a roster looks like from afar, and I think that I don't, I don't think it's wrong to say James been a whirlwind of an off season, right? Yeah, I think that's uh, probably maybe an understatement, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it's it's been it's been a crazy eight months. Uh, it started in in December and, and just kind of carried on, but. Um, you know, we're here, it, it's week two, um, you know, there's a, lots of reasons to be excited um, as the football season is here. Uh, the Texans came off of a win. So I think we're just trying to carry that optimism to a week on a week by week basis and just continue down that path. Yeah, I, I'm curious. We're not even going to talk to Sean because I think it's just been it's been so flushed out at this point that it's not even worth our time and he's not going to be a factor to this season, at least. So I I want to know sort of what your expectations were. Were there any expectations? Was there a, hey, we need to be bad to get somebody really good? Uh, that sort of vibe. And then and then two, after you sort of address where you were going into week one, after week one, has there been a, a sort of recalibration that maybe this team can compete a little bit more? Yeah, I think, you know, coming into the season for me, um, I, I tend to block out a lot of the noise and form my own opinions when it comes to, you know, this team and just, just sports in general. Um I think it's uh, the the media always has an agenda that you know to create a narrative around things and and and, and create uh, an atmosphere that garners clicks and, and things of that nature. And, and as a Browns fan, you you know you know firsthand just on how uh, the media can you know use the team to just trash for quite some time. Um, you know, I, I don't my expectations for the season. They weren't high, but they weren't low either. You know, I, I think I, I, I look at it as it is a rebuild. You know, you had a top five quarterback just up and quit on your team after, you know, three months uh, after he signs a life changing contract. I think that's a hard task for any team to uh, maneuver around. Right. Um, and then when you add the fact of the allegations, you can't trade them now. And so there's just so many different things going on with the team that I think it's fair to have just. Uh, an optimistic perspective when it comes to the way that the roster is being built. You know, a lot of one to two year uh, deals, uh, you know, seasoned vets, no, no stars, but, but guys who have played a lot of football in this league. So it doesn't look to me like this team is tanking. It looks like they did this because the cat, given the cap situation and the lack of draft picks coming in, Nick Casario had uh, coming into the season, his, he, he was kind of, you know, playing GM with one hand tied behind his back, and then the Desan situation happened, so now he's playing GM with two hands tied behind his back. And I think he built a pretty good roster. Um, like I said, no, you know, no no stars whatsoever were signed, but, you know, good football players. And so the expectation coming into the season was, I you know, I, I thought they'd be somewhat competitive. Um, I thought that, you know, they'd feel the team that was was looking to compete each week. Uh, you know, on wins and, and loss totals and stuff like that, I didn't really get too much into. Maybe maybe six wins, I think, is what I said at one point. Um, but then, you know, looking at the division and, and week one, um, I, I think there's been some changes mentally for me. Um, you know, we beat the Jags, who are a horrible team, right? 
uh, you know, if anybody should have had a bad narrative coming into the season, it should have been the Jags. And, and, and they had the number one pick overall. But Urban Meyer has never been, you know, a guy who sticks around uh, and sticks to a plan and a process. And there's no way that he does it here in Jacksonville. Um, I don't even know if he was mentally prepared to handle an NFL team. They have, you know, a, a terrible roster. And I expected us to win that game. Now, what I didn't expect was for us to beat them down from kickoff to the end of the game. You know, for four quarters, we really just kept punching them in the mouth every chance we got. And for me, that was really the probably the most the, the biggest takeaway from week one for, for the Texans was the fact that, yeah, we won, but it was the way we won. You know, we beat them down and never looked back. And uh, so for me, I'm feeling pretty optimistic going into this week. I, I know this Browns team is extremely good. Tons of talent all around. Um, but that 12 and a half point spread, I think it's just uh, utterly disrespectful. I, 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 that's a huge spread. I don't even know if the Browns have ever had a 12 and a half point uh, spread as a favorite uh, going into a game. I know they haven't since 1999. And I, and I do agree with you that that is a huge, a huge part of, uh, of why I'm uncomfortable with this game is because there is, I, I say it all the time. My listeners know it's a motivation business and, and when one team is extremely motivated, and again, as we saw last year, how Cleveland played in some of their games where everybody counted them out, it matters. It just does. And it, you're looking for any mental edge, and that's something that I think Houston can can bring to Cleveland, and I and it worries me. So I will say this. I want to ask you kind of a, a bigger question, which is, you know, how, I guess, are you bothered it's a weird question because we know how this went in Cleveland. We Cleveland rock bottomed to to collect high high picks. We rock they rock bottom with the intention of hey we're going to go get people like Miles like Baker like Denzel and it worked. It was a circoshous path, but it worked. So when they do bring in a bunch of these guys who are veteran players who can win games, and as we've seen week one, they can go out and win some games. Are you bothered by that because maybe the 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 plan should be here? to bottom out heavy so that you can collect those high picks over the course of two years and then go out and, you know, get those difference making types of talents. Or is it like, you know, should we go win five, six, seven games and compete? I'm always interested in that from a perspective of someone covering the team, because there's no real perfect way to do this, but sitting in limbo, especially if Deshaun is going to be gone at some point, you got to figure out quarterback before anything else, as you know. So, I'm just kind of get curious from a fan's perspective. Do you think they're doing, and you're not just, if you're someone who covers a team, like, or do you think they're doing this the right way? Or do you think, you know, maybe they should be trying to bottom out and not be signing these stopgap veterans who are just going to go out and win a couple football games here and there? So this is going to be a pretty long answer, so bear with me. Um, you know, I think the Texans are in somewhat of a unique situation that most teams, actually, I can't think of one team has ever really been in, right? A rebuild is one thing. Um, but a rebuild when you have an asset like Deshaun Watson is completely different, right? So it can go one of two ways. One, uh, somehow Nick Serio uh, convinces him to stay and he ends up being our quarterback. Or two, you get a Herschel Walker type uh, trade for trading that that quarterback. And all of a sudden your rebuild is just it, it, it's a it's a much quicker process, right? I mean, the asking price from what I'm hearing is three first round picks and two starters. Uh, if that happens and then you take into account what all the other draft capital we're going to have, you know, you really don't need to tank this year. Right. And, you know, I think tanking, look, I, I, I applaud the way that the Cleveland Browns approached it. You know, they, they had Sashi Brown in, it was a very analytical approach. 
as it was basically a, a, as many at bat attempts as we can get is is what we want. Um, and at that time, I think it, it worked for where you guys were at with your roster and kind of the you know the changing of the guard with the, all the head coaches and, and quarterbacks and things of that nature. It, it was nice because it was a change from what you guys have tried to do in the past. When it comes to this Texans team, one, there's no I, I, I will never support a tank. Um, I, I think, you know, for fans that pay for season tickets and jerseys and go and support the games and watch, you know, go to the bars, just whatever it may be, that's a hard pill to swallow for the fans. It's also a hard pill to swallow for beat writers, and it's also a hard pill to swallow for the players, right? You got to look at these stopgap veterans that were assigned. They're, they're, they're guys that are looking to get another contract and another chance. You can't sell that locker room on tanking. If these are a bunch of young guys and it was about developing young talent and things of that nature, then that's a different story. But that's not who the roster is. I think we have the second oldest roster in the league. Um, so they're trying to win or at worst, they're trying to be competitive. And I think given the fact that you have Deshaun Watson, let's say, you know, there's a settlement or, you know, whatever ends up happening with his civil cases. That's a whole nother conversation. But either way, that guy's going to play in the NFL, right? He's a top five quarterback at the most prestigious position in all of sports. There's no way this guy gets blackballed. So once whatever happens with the allegation goes away, you have an asset where you're going to be able to get a very, very high return. And then that rebuild turns into a one to two year rebuild if you hit on your picks. On top of that, then you're talking about the cap space that freed up from you know a $40 million contract and everything else. There's a plethora of things that are going to happen over the next year, year and a half. And, uh, you know, I don't want to see them tank. I want to see them be competitive. I'd like, I like to stop gap bets because if you find a couple like Desmond King, Malik Collins, uh, you know, Kruger Hill, Joe Thomas, whoever it may be, you have guys that potentially end up being somewhat of a diamond in the rough that develop well under your scheme, under Lovey Smith on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and then you, you, you extend them, right? So that way you have some pieces to kind of play with when it comes to the draft and free agency. So, I don't think they're tanking. Uh, I don't think they will tank. I think they'll try to be as competitive as they can be. I really like this coaching staff, to be honest with you. I know a lot of people aren't very high on Lacoli Hire. You know, he's 67. Why did he get his chance? Things like that. But um, I really like what they're doing. And the culture that they're establishing and building, um, I'm a big fan of. I think I think they're doing it right. You know, they, they brought in guys like Mark Ingram, who are voices in the locker room that understand what it takes to win. Um, and it's working. It's working. And that's it's a big shift compared to what B.O.B. was, Bill O'Brien. I mean, that guy was a you he was you surrounded by yes, man. Nobody challenged his 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 train of his chain of thought. And he was just everybody do what he says. Everybody walked around on eggshells in the locker room. Now that's flipped completely. So I think what they're doing is going to work. Um, it's just going to take some time to be able to see what ends up happening. It's a fascinating study. I want to I want to comment first on the thing you you you, know, you referenced with with tanking and the it, it was a terrible process right it was really hard on fans really hard on you like you said people covering the team to get out of the funk that was covering so many losing not just seasons but just that that whole one in 31 stretch it was brutal and i wouldn't wish it on any team i really wouldn't wish it on any team or anybody who cares about that team or works for that team or covers that team it is it is a, a challenging time and something that people who general discussions around the Browns are trying to heal from because it leaves a mark in your brain about about the team organization, all of it. So 
it worked for the Browns. They have things in the right direction, but it's not a perfect system because you still have to hit on picks. That's the huge thing, you know, not just it's not just collecting picks, it's actually hitting them. And that is the that's the difficult thing. But with with the Texans, it's an interesting study to me, James, because it's a bunch of guys that can help teams. Right. So you say you got a bunch of guys who are good enough to help teams and you put them all on the same team. You have a bunch of older, mature veteran players who all come together behind the idea we weren't really wanted by other teams. We were cast off. We were let go because of injury. Like That's the collective underdog mentality and something I think really makes them dangerous. And it's like, to me, it's everything that the mainstream, and I don't like using this stuff all the time, but the mainstream football media is against, right? Older coach, like you said, guys who have struggled maybe in other places, players who have been, like we said, cast off from their original team, or some bigger role somewhere else they've been let go of. And it's just easy to poke fun at that and say there's no hope. But again, when you get guys that believe in what is being formed, the culture, it's a bunch of grown-up men, family-based men, I am I think it's a really interesting test for a, a, a sort of theory that can work in the NFL. Is that kind of how you're viewing it a little too? Yeah, I mean, exactly, right? Like, you, you have guys who, like you said, were somewhat cast-offs, uh, whether it be injury or, you know, scheme fits, right? That that seems to be something that I, I, I swear is never talked about when it comes to players, right? Like, like, let's take, for example, wide receiver Chris Conley, who was drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs and played with or behind Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, Travis Kelsey, right? How was he ever going to have the opportunity to truly shine? And then he goes to Jacksonville, where they don't have a quarterback, and they probably are the worst-ran organization, in my opinion, in the NFL. And yeah, they had their AFC you know, Tour Championship, whatever it was, that one year where they had an amazing defense. But outside of that, that team has really just always been a gutter team. And so he couldn't thrive there. And then he comes into camp, and he's just lighting it up. And he becomes Tyrod's kind of security blanket at times. Um, and then you have him opposite of Brandon Cook. So yeah, I agree. I think, you know, the stopgap vet process that's happening, uh, it, it's two things. One, you're getting guys that are buying into the program and are here to win and kind of rebuild their image and have a chance at, you know, a potential, you know, bigger contract next year. But then what you also have, and this is true, this is what I believe, um, is you have a GM who is willing to move on quickly from players, which we've already seen early on before the season, right? Bradley Roby gone. There were trades throughout the uh, offseason that just continued. I think he made a total of 67 transactions from the time the offseason started to week one. Um, and you have guys who are going to be able to help teams that need it before the trade deadline, right? We're already seeing injuries happen. So you got guys like Malik Collins, who is a nine sack guy uh, previously. Um, I think it was 2019 um, with the Raiders. So you, you just have talent on the roster that could easily be used to grab more draft capital entering 2022. Um, and they're going to play. And and like from what I saw in week one, I'll tell you this, the, the players are bought in. And it's not one of those bought in uh, type of things where you hear coach speak or you hear, you know, um, just the, the generic answers to things. You're hearing players go in depth and talk about other players in depth and the culture that's being built and the winning atmosphere and what needs to happen. Those aren't things you hear in a rebuild year. And so it's very interesting. Um, do I think that they're going to be like 
a, a Super Bowl contender? No, not at all, right? You can't do that with without a top five quarterback typically. So, but they do have a competitive roster, and ultimately, that's what I like the most about this roster. Yeah, it's a bunch of guys that are good football players. Maybe not great football players, but good enough, have been in the NFL. They know what it takes to succeed. You're right. Some of them flopped out due to scheme. Tyrod's an example of being in the wrong place at the wrong time seven or eight times. There's just a bunch of guys that bond in that way. And it's not like they're bad. It's just that they're, you know, this isn't replacement level guys. These are like guys that can play, that have have performed well at other places. But again, you get pushed out for whatever reason. There's a myriad of different reasons. And... To me, that's what makes them really dangerous. Now, we also get the tie-in this week of like, I don't know, I'm looking at the roster here, like 14, 15 former Browns, which is another added level of motivation. Can't tell me Christian Kirksey doesn't want to come in and win in Cleveland. Can't tell me Tyrod Taylor doesn't want to come in and beat Baker Mayfield. It's going to be a personal atmosphere for them. There's going to be a lot of guys and there's going to be a locker room rallying around the fact that, hey, man, a lot of our dudes played in Cleveland and were let go. And I don't know how many were let go and have bad feelings about Cleveland. I don't think all of them will, but there is going to be that element. So, you know, I think it's a real thing. So let's go through kind of position. by Well, we'll start with this. 37-21 last week over the Jags. So in case you didn't know that, that was the final score. Pretty dominating. Uh, Shut Jacksonville down on third downs. 3 of 11 for Jacksonville. 12 of 21 for Houston, outproduced them yardage-wise, outproduced them on a yards per play, 6.0 to 5.8, threw for 289, ran for 160, held Jacksonville under 100 yards rushing, three turnovers for the Jags to force them into three, didn't have any turnovers for Houston. So that gives you an idea of week one. So talk a little bit about what they did, and then we'll kind of, you know, it looks like it's heavy, heavy Brandon Cook's targets. Uh, Farrell Brown, again, former Cleveland Brown, had a nice game. So we'll kind of go position by position. Who do you expect to be the, the contributors at wide receiver? Yeah, so, um, you know, they ran a lot of pistol, which was, uh, you know, is great for Tyrod's skill set, right? And and you got to think, David Coley comes from Baltimore. Pistol is, is really what was built on with Lamar Jackson. Now, he is not Lamar Jackson, but he does have legs. Um, and he's pretty accurate with the football. He's been accurate his entire career. So, um it, it, it was a very interesting way to see the offense. Um, you know, we saw a lot of downfield passes, which isn't something we see a lot from Tyrod Taylor. You know, coming in, he was known as check down Tyrod, uh, but we saw balls being pushed downfield. Um, so it, it's going to be really interesting. The Farrell Brown is a guy that, um, you know, I know Browns fans know who he is, but this guy is developing into a tight end and, and maybe a top tier tight end. I mean, this guy is very physical. Um, he's motivated in every single way. He's coachable. And he's totally bought into the scheme and the way that he's being used. Uh, I expect to see a heavy two tight end sets uh, this this week against the Browns, especially with Anthony Walker out. We're very familiar with Anthony Walker, with him coming from the Colts. Uh, pretty good coverage linebacker, very good linebacker in general. Um, so I would assume that would be a matchup that we'll probably try to expose pretty early with Jordan Akins and, and Farrell Brown. Um, and then, you know, with with the, the one wide receiver that isn't getting a lot of talk out of week one, and it, it, it's fair. Um, is Nico Collins, our rookie out of Michigan, 6'6". The dude is just huge um, and extremely talented. He sat out uh, the last year at Michigan because of COVID, so he opted out, uh, ended up falling all the way to the third round. He's a guy that, you know, from everything I read from draft experts, had he had played, he likely would have been a first round to early second round wide receiver, uh, but he was kind of forgotten about. Um, and he, he's got a ton of talent, so it's going to be interesting to see. I would assume Denzel Ward will likely be lined up on um, – 
on Brandon Cooks, which is going to be an interesting matchup to see. Brandon Cooks is an extremely good route runner. Uh, you know, a lot of people talk a ton about his speed, but his route running capabilities is really what causes him to get open so often. Um, and then he does have that breakaway speed. I, I think that the tight ends and the wide receivers have a real opportunity here to continue the chemistry that was built in week one and, and all through the offseason. Um, and it, it's going to be a very, very fun matchup to watch because we don't know a lot about this Browns defense, right? And that happens to any team that plays the Kansas City Chiefs in the first week. You really just don't know. You don't know if it's a great defense, a good defense, a better defense than last year, because you're going against the Chiefs. They're going to put up points. It doesn't matter what defense you are. Um, so I think the Browns Browns fans is gonna are going to learn a lot about the Browns defense, and I think Tex and Texans fans are going to learn a lot about their offense because this is a better defense than what the Jags had. So it's going to be very interesting. Yeah, the the news of recent here is Anthony Walker to the IR uh, hamstring. So um, we're going to have to see what the Browns do defensively with their Mike backer position. I don't know if they're going to play Malcolm Smith or if they're going to green dot John Johnson at safety and let him do it and shuffle in Jeremiah Wusukormo. But this this game will present a unique challenge. I think uh, Nico Collins, you mentioned his uh, his Michigan sufferings, and he slipped to the third round, pretty similar to what we see here with Donovan Peoples-Jones, who those two played together at Michigan and suffered the quarterback <laughs> A disaster together. So we were high on Nico Collins in draft time. We like him a lot. Uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting group. Skill guys. I mean, guys that have played well. Guys that can perform if given opportunities. Philip Lindsay, Rex Burkhead. I think David Johnson, Mark Ingram. All of those guys will get touches. They'll be an active part of things. Uh, Tyrod. If Tyrod's cutting it loose, which I encourage him to be doing so. You got. It's the first time in Tyrod's career he hasn't had someone looking over his shoulder. You know. So. I think that there should be a level of fearness there with him. I want to talk about the O-line. Laramie Tunzel is the name that we all know. Max Sharping, Justin Britt, former Brown Justin McCray, and Titus Howard. How's that How's that group performing through the preseason into week one? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what this what this week's lineup looks like. So the left side, you got, obviously, Laramie Tunzel, a top five you know, left tackle. Um, and then on at, right, at left guard, you have Titus Howard, who originally was playing tackle for us for the last two years. He has played some time at, at, at guard, but it was right guard. Um, that left side of the line got a ton of push last week against Josh Allen. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see how, how they handle it. Laramie was coming off of COVID, too. Uh, he actually had COVID and I think started practicing Wednesday before the game, coming back from COVID. So he wasn't even 100%. So it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, Justin Britt is an upgrade, hands down, at center over Nick Martin. Um, very physical guy, good in the run game. Not great in pass protection, um, but but very solid in the run game, getting better at, at pass protection. And then at right guard, we have Max Sharping, who uh, was a guy his rookie year two years ago. Everybody's extremely high on. He was actually the rookie that everybody talked most about. Played extremely well at left guard, and then now he's playing right guard. So there's a little change. He hasn't been great, but he hasn't been terrible. And then you have Marcus Cannon at right tackle who also just last week came off of uh, injured. Well, I wouldn't say injured. I always forget the uh, designation, uh, the physically unable to perform list during the entire off season. So I think he only got in like a week of practice um, starting the last Monday. And he started that right tackle and played extremely well too. So he's getting up to speed. The offensive line in general just played extremely well compared to what we've seen in years past. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see. We're very familiar with Clowney. Uh, Clowney's my favorite Texan of all time. Um, I think he's one of those freak athletes that just just has a bad rap, isn't given the props that, that he deserves. He's, he's so healthy. talented. He's healthy and moving he, well right now. When I watched him last week, I'll tell you this. That tackle for loss that he had, 
Um, that looked like prime Clowney to me. Yeah. Um, what, what you're getting from Clowney is a guy who could set the edge and shut down the run on his side of the field. He may not be this most the most dynamic pass rusher, but I guarantee you if you run the ball towards Clowney, it's going to be very hard for you to get past him. He's just so quick. He has a quick get off. And then you got Miles Garrett on the other side. So um, it's going to be a test for the offensive line for sure. Uh, I, I can't wait to see what happens because this is going to be a very physical game in the trenches and it's going to be very fun to watch. It should be. Browns have some emerging defensive tackle talent. Malik McDowell, Malik McJackson, or Malik Jackson's a veteran, but young Jordan Elliott, a kid from Missouri, is uh, is coming along too. So it should be a nice battle along the interior to go along with those edge guys. Tack McKinley played pretty well week one too, as a rotational edge guy for for this uh, for this version of the Browns. I mean, I know he fell out unceremoniously with with the Falcons, but it looks like he's got some juice and he's back and he looked really good week one. So that should present another unique challenge. So offensively, we'll see. I think you can take advantage of the Browns linebackers as we saw the chiefs do Greg Newsom, The rookie wasn't really tested week one. We'll see if we'll see if the, uh, if the Texans offense wants to challenge him, it should be interesting to see sort of how they scheme around some different things. I think they can take advantage of Grant Delpit, another player, the Browns lost now for a while, all of his rookie year, second round pick going into 20, lost him but he seems to be trending toward playing we'll see if that happens so they should add some secondary depth and maybe ronnie harrison doesn't get kicked out after the first series that would be nice um talk defense let's talk about the box so again you can correct me if i'm wrong i'm looking at our lads which i think does a decent job with it but clearly they didn't upgrade uh some of the offensive line data so whitney merciless demarcus walker you mentioned malik collins jordan jenkins on the on the 4-3 base uh, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, Zach Cunningham, and then our old boy Christian Kirksey. I think Ke- uh, Camu Gregor-Hill plays a little bit there uh, at the linebacker spot too. So yeah, fill me in if that's right, and then uh, how they looked for you in week one. Yeah, so um, another guy to add to that that uh, defensive line rotation is uh, there's two guys, really, Charles Amenhue. Actually, three guys, I'm sorry. Ross Blacklock, Charles Amenhue, and Jacob Martin. Those are three guys who stood out week one on the film. Um the, Jacob Martin, I think, had the third quickest get off uh, in the in in the NFL in Week One. Um, he is a guy that Texans fans are extremely excited about, and and beat writers are really enjoying the film that he puts on. Um, very aggressive and quick pass rusher. Charles Menhue, third year guy. He's definitely poised to have a breakout year and year uh, compared to what we've seen in the past from him. And then our second round rookie from last year, um, Ross Blacklock, uh, defensive tackle out of uh, TCU. He's playing more of the three tech this uh, now this year compared to playing uh, defensive tackle last year for us. It's going to be very interesting to see. He definitely had some pressures uh, last week. So did Jacob Martin, Charles Menu, and Malik Collins. Whitney Merciless had a sack. So there's there, there, we don't really know a lot about this defensive line yet. We just know that there are players and there's a lot of rotational pieces. And lots of different looks that we can give you. Um, as far as the linebackers go, I mean, Zach Cunningham is, is you know, I, I don't really know what to say about Zach. He's a great tackler. He has the side-to-side speed to be able to cover. But in schemes, he just gets lost and doesn't seem to understand his his responsibility in his own scheme. Um, uh, definitely an opportunity for you guys to take advantage of. If, if he's trying to lock down Joku, it's, it's going to be – very interesting. I'm hoping that Lonnie Johnson's active this week and he's the guy that tries to cover um, uh, Najoku because he, he's done extremely well against tight ends in the past. Shut down Travis Kelsey for an entire second half uh, of a regular season matchup in 2019. Um, and, and then Kruger Hill, obviously, you know, uh, a very good coverage linebacker, which is something that Texans fans and Texans beat writers can't really say that we've had for the last four years. Uh, we haven't really had a good coverage linebacker 
And then Christian Kirksey, I think, was like a top five coverage linebacker in week one in the NFL. So definitely a, a, a mixed bag and lots of different uh, players on the on the defensive side of the ball when it comes to the linebackers and the defensive line, but uh, more upside than downside. And it's going to be interesting to see because this matchup specifically, um, when you got you know Najoku and Landry, you know Landry loves to go across the middle of the field. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, there's just a bunch of solid NFL talent there, which is which is the theme, right? The theme that gets overlooked. It's having mature guys who have seen a lot of different football unfold in front of them and and applying their skill set collectively. Kirksey's a great example. If he's healthy, and you can make that caveat about you know, probably several guys in the Texans roster, the if they're healthy, he's a good football player, man. He was one of the better Browns linebackers over the past 10 years or so when he was right. It's just that they couldn't keep him right physically. I hope he finds health this year for sure because I think he's he's a very enjoyable person and and when and when the body's functioning the way it needs to function he can play so uh looking at the secondary again a couple different well i see three names that are cleveland based names i'm not sure tavier thomas is playing all too much i think he's probably a special teams guy but terrence mitchell's listed as a starter eric murray's listed as a starter i don't know if those guys are getting the time that this is listing uh but obviously we know justin reed's a tough football player good safety and then Desmond King has been around the NFL for a good while, and he can obviously play in a, in, a, in a bunch of different schemes. So, yeah, talk secondary real quick before we close and tell me how you think they're playing and, and what to expect. Yeah, the secondary is probably the biggest question when it comes to this defense. And, and it's not it's not that it, nobody is very good. or it Actually, it's exactly that. Nobody is very good, but at times all of them are somewhat good. Right. And it just fits the theme that we've been talking about this entire time. Right. Terrence Mitchell is not a guy that should be a number one corner, maybe not even a number two corner at this point in his career. Uh, you got Vernon Hargraves, who I think is still like 27, uh, 26, young guy, had a pick last year. He's been like the dumpster can that has just been banged and banged for the last two past two seasons. He's been awful in coverage for us. And then now with this new coaching staff, and uh, secondary coach, he looks like he's actually developing and playing better than what we've seen. Um, and then Desmond King in the slot, you know, sure tackler. Uh, you know, he's going to get burned at times with the shifty, quick uh, slot wide receivers, but um, he's always going to get them down after uh, after the catch, which is great. Um, it's not it's not a secondary you're going to write you know write home about. You're not going to have a lot of good things to say about it, but. It's all about the two things that that really matter when it comes to a secondary, and it, it's going to be the pass rush complementing the secondary, and the secondary complementing the pass rush. If those two can work together in a cohesive manner, there's a real opportunity for them to be better than what we've seen, what we saw in Week One. Um, also, got to keep in mind though, in Week One we didn't. There's not a ton of wide receiver talent on the Jaguars. Coming to you guys now, you know, there's a ton of wide receiver talent, even with OBJ out, right? You got Schwartz, you got Landry, you have uh, you have um, Donovan people Jones. I mean, you have talented wide receivers. It's going to be very interesting to see how they match up. Will they go to a man, uh, a man scheme? Will they stick with zone? Um, you know, that's probably my biggest fear is, you know, are, are those three wide receivers going to eat against our corners? Cause I, I think there's a real opportunity that they do, but you have to wonder, is it going to be maybe, maybe the safeties are going to play a role. Justin Reed had an amazing game last week. Um, it, it's, it, you know, he's really coming into form. This defense doesn't let him make him think as much as he used to uh, in, in uh, Romeo Cornell's defense. So it's going to be fun to see um, Eric Murray. 
I don't know. We haven't seen enough of him at safety. He played slot for us last year, so in his first season. So it, the first time we really got to see him at safety was last week in week one against the Jags. He, he did okay. Uh, he didn't really – he wasn't really like a shining spot in any form of the All-22. But um, definitely uh, uh, definitely a guy that you know we signed for a pretty decent deal. I think that was like the deal that everybody laughed at last year um, as far as the media goes and things of that nature. So um, the, the secondary isn't something to, to – to be excited about, but I don't know if it's a secondary that you need to worry about either. We really haven't been tested enough to really understand what, what our weaknesses are on the second in the secondary. So we're hoping this week we'll learn a lot more about the secondary. And this is, this is going to be something to watch because you guys just have so much talent. Yeah. And Baker's not afraid to rip it. He'll definitely challenge them. They're guys Baker's familiar with too. I mean, he practiced with some of these guys. I mean, Eric Murray, when he was in his younger years, Terrence Mitchell, he knows Kirko well. Like this is going to be familiar territory, but they're also familiar with him, and they know how to how to pick at him too. So that that back and forth chess match will be really fun to watch. I want to I want to ask one quick question before we go: Is there a kicker struggle going on there? Who's they're not they don't even have one listed. So I was curious who's kicking for the for the Texans right yes. now. Yes. So Justin Sly um, kicked for us last week. Uh, he was on our practice squad during the off season. Um, Kaimi Fairbairn seems to be battling some sort of injury. I think it's his uh, ankle or hamstring, something like that. Um, so he didn't play. So ju- it looks like Justin Sly will be our kicker again this week. Um, he was accurate as can be. Uh, he didn't miss one one kick last week. Uh, looked really good. Um, he, he's a former linebacker. Uh, he's, a, he's a great tackler on special teams. Um, but, yeah, it, it'll likely be Justin Sly. I don't think Kaimi will be suiting up this week. All right, James, this was great, great, great information. I know all the listeners of this podcast appreciate it. They feel much more prepared for what the Texans bring, who their roster is, and where the current state of the franchise is, and that is always the goal when we have a a Behind Enemy line segment. So we we really appreciate your time, man. Absolutely, Jake. I really appreciate you having me on, and uh, can't wait to see what happens on Sunday. Big thanks again to James Carlson for joining us and giving all of that great insight on the Texans. It should be a really, really interesting game to see where both teams are. Whether that first uh, first game win for the Texans was phony, whether the Browns can rebound, a lot to tell by this Week 2 matchup. Some reunions are going to happen, going to be fun. Subtle reminders about things that are out there of late. I wrote an Anthony Schwartz film room if you'd like to look at that. Also put up a uh, film room that I did with Kyle Murphy we're going to be doing every week. It went on YouTube this week because my schedule... Uh, for this past week was so chaotic we couldn't do the normal twitch show that will be back tuesday on the show tuesday we will have defensive segment offensive segment and baker film breakdowns going forward sorry about the chaotic nature of those this week we'll also have more written content from myself uh, coming up as well and uh, when my schedule gets back to normal so keep your eyes out for that um, a reminder again about twitch we had uh, our show our roundtable you can go back and rewatch from today tonight friday night And then you can watch the uh, Prospect Show with Stephen Thomas coming up Saturday at 11 a.m. before college football kickoff. So, all of those great opportunities. It's September on Twitch, so you can get 20% off your subscription. Take advantage of that. I will have more coming up on the Texans with a game day preview Sunday morning, about 10 minutes like usual, talking about the things I'm paying attention to. Keep your eyes peeled for that. We'll also have a write-up on the game as well. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for spreading the word about this podcast, as you always do. You guys are the best. Have a great Saturday, and go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.